Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to each of you who have joined us in church for worship this morning of our Triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us here in church today. And we also welcome those who have joined us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our risen Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And may God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Uh, Adam and Khamine Sibim have requested an attestation to the Free Reformed Church of Kelmscott and we wish them the Lord's blessing in their new congregation. And this morning, the worship service will be led by Brother Plater. Before we commence the worship, let us sing together Psalm 111, verses 2 and 5. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Please rise and let us worship the Lord together. As we come before our God to worship his glorious name, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this morning, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and sing a song of praise to our Savior Jesus Christ with the words of hymn 79 verses 1, 2, and 5. Hymn 79, 1, 2, and 5.
Well, we just sang together, before the throne absolved we stand, your love has met, your laws demand. Congregation, as we now come and, and listen to the law of God and what he requires of, uh, of us and what the law demands, and as we see our, our sins and our shortcomings in light of God's law, let us remember our Savior Jesus Christ who has perfectly met the demands of the law in our place so that we might be righteous in him. So here now, in light of that, the word of, of God that comes to us in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now in response to the law, let us sing a psalm of confession, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2.
Let's come before God now and acknowledge our transgressions and our misdeeds and experience forgiveness from our guilt and our sinfulness. Let us come before God and let us pray. O Lord God and Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are majestic, that you are glorious, that your works are almighty in your hands. Your righteousness endures forever. You have caused your wondrous acts to be preserved in thought and memory. And Father, we marvel at this. We, we praise you for this. For Lord, we know that creation at this very moment, it, it sings your praises. The heavens declare your glories. The earth proclaims your handiwork. Lord, day unto day they pour out speech, and night unto night they bring forth knowledge. And there's, they do that without a voice. And Father, we praise you that you created us with voices so that we can also praise your, your great name, that we can bring before you, we can see your acts, and that we can articulate that, and that we can rejoice in who you are. Lord, this is part of the purpose that you created us for. You created us to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. But Father, we also confess that our sins stand in the way of that. Father, we acknowledge that when we look at this week, we, we look at the just laws and what they demand. And Father, we acknowledge that we fall short of that. We fall so far short of that. And Lord, sometimes, like the psalmist, we can try to hide away from you. But Lord, we realize that that crushes us. That we, we suffer from the constant knowledge of, of your just judgment. And that our bones waste away. It sucks the life out of us, as David says. And so, Lord, we confess our sins to you. We acknowledge that we, are, that we are sinners and that you are holy. Lord, we acknowledge that when we look at this week, we haven't loved you as we ought. We haven't spoke to one another in love uh, to those around us. We think of the things that we've said to our spouse or our children or our work friends or schoolmates. Lord, we think of the things that we've done. We think of the things that we've thought. And Lord, we're often ashamed of our thoughts because, Lord, they reveal what's truly in our hearts. And we, we see that there is all sorts of, of sins. There's lust, adultery, there's, there's pride, there's arrogance, there's resentfulness, there's bitterness, and all of that wells up from our hearts, Lord. And so we confess these things before you. We acknowledge that we are sinners and we pray that you would forgive us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we thank you that because of him, even though we are sinners, we can come to you boldly and confident, confident of your love and confident of your grace. And all because of our Savior. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we desire to worship you. We love you and we want to bring our praises to you. We want to be encouraged by your word, to hear your word proclaimed, and that our hearts would be changed. And so we ask that, that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Father, if we really want to know someone, we often have to just ask them and they will reveal it to us. We can't see into their mind. And Lord, in the same way, we can't know your mind unless you reveal it to us. And so we pray as you open your word, which is a revelation of who you are and your character, that you would reveal yourself to us. And that you would work powerfully through your spirit. And that you would dwell amongst us this morning. Father, we bring all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So our text this morning is 
from Genesis 49. And in preparation for that, we'll read from Genesis 48, 48 to 49, verse 28. Now, maybe just a bit of context, because it's been a while since we've dealt with Genesis. It's been a number of months ago. So we began in Genesis 37. This is really the generations of Jacob. That's how the passage begins. These are the generations of Jacob. And it, it tells the story of Jacob's generations in light of Joseph. It's a very well-known story. Joseph, he was hated by his brothers. He ends up in Genesis 37 being sold into slavery. And throughout, as we've gone through the, the, the passage, we've seen how despite all the things that he suffered, that God was with him and that he was watching over him and that God had a purpose for him and he brought him to Egypt for a reason and that was to preserve the, the house of Jacob from the famine. And so as we work through the series, we've seen how the brothers have now come to, to, J, uh, to Joseph, he's the ruler, and they've experienced forgiveness from their sins. And now they are experiencing the blessing of his rule in Egypt. And so that brings us to Genesis 40, uh, 48. So 48, we're going to read the verses 1 through uh, 49, verse 28. And our text will be the verses 1 through, 10, 1 through 12 of Genesis 49. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Joseph and to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply, multiply you. I will make you a company, a company of peoples and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before you, I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my two sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my father, a fathers Abram and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. And this is the context for our, our text this morning, 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father, Reuben. You are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vestures in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his borders shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good, and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the, the horse's heel so that his riders fall backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. 
by the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. So far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our lives. In response to the the reading of God's word, let us sing Psalm 72. In this psalm, King Solomon asks God to bless, uh, bless him as he lives up to his calling as king.
Our text for this morning comes to us from Genesis 49, and we'll read the verses 1 through 12. Genesis 49, the verses 1 through 12. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah. Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. As a lioness, who dare rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and vestures in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So far from the reading of God's word. After the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing in response Psalm 132 verses 6, 7 and 10. Psalm 132 verses 6, 7 and 10. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, maybe some of you have received an email, maybe in your junk email, where it talked about someone who had a sizable inheritance and you somehow were a relative. And now all you have to do is click the link, give your bank details and you'll have your inheritance. It will change your future. Now for some people that's actually what happens. They sit down for the last will, the last testament for the dividing up of an inheritance, and they receive a sizable inheritance. And it can change their future. It changes it drastically. And it dictates what will happen. Now, in a similar way, our passage this morning is the last words of Jacob. His, it's his last will, his, his testament to his sons. If we think about it, Jacob possessed these rich blessings from God. This is something that Genesis has been tracking from one generation to the next. God made these promises to Abraham, and now he's tracking them through the generations. And now Jacob, as a grandson, he is also the recipient of these blessings. And he takes these blessings now and he bestows it on his sons. This is the inheritance that he gives to his sons. They're not just merely a transferal of ownership or a divvying up of some possessions that he had. No, these are, these are more than that. They're prophetic. 
They reveal what will happen in the days to come, as it says in Genesis 49 verse 1. So what we see is what's going on is, in his last words, Jacob is giving his people, his sons, a glimpse of their vision in the inheritance that God has in store for them, in the promised land. And this is very significant. Because Jacob, he recounts earlier in, in 48 verse 3, he talks about how God Almighty appeared to him at Luz and in the land of Canaan and blessed him. And he said, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a company of peoples and I will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So God promised that he would give them land. And he promised that he would make them a great people. But then interesting, at this point, as we've seen, Jacob has only received only a foretaste of that fulfillment. He hasn't seen these promises being given to him in full. He hasn't received them. And yet, by faith, Jacob, he sees that they're his and he gives it to his sons. And so he gives them, he blesses them with the same inheritance that was promised to him. Even though he hasn't received it in full yet, he blesses it to his sons, fully convinced that God will bring it to pass. And so here we have a vision of their future, a vision of the inheritance in the promised land. And in also what we see is that there is a glimpse here, a glimpse of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, who is prophesied here in his words, in his last words to his sons. And so that brings us to our theme this, this morning that God in his grace gives his people a glimpse of their future in the promised land. And so we'll, we'll notice two things. So the future is in the promised land is impacted by sin and weakness. And the second received by God's grace and faithfulness. So firstly then we see that their future in the promised land is impacted by sin and weakness. So in the verses 1 through 28, we have, as it's mentioned, the blessing that Jacob gives to his sons. And yet, when we read through it, not all of them look like blessings. It's not quite the blessings that we envision when we hear that word. When we think blessed, we'd imagine Jacob coming to his sons and saying something like, you know, may God keep you always, may you experience happiness, and may he give you his portion, his lot. An inheritance. Maybe it sounds something like that. But what we get is something different. I mean, for Joseph and for Judah, we hear that. You know, they're promised great things. But imagine for yourself, imagine you are Reuben. So you gather to your dad. You're in one of the hospitals in Egypt. You're at the sickbed. And now he's going to tell you the last words. And now imagine you're Reuben. He says, unstable as water are you, Reuben. Look, you could imagine Reuben thinking to himself, well, thanks, Dad. You know, it's like an unwanted birthday gift. He just kind of smiles and receives it. And so how do we understand these, these blessings? And this is why verse 28 is really important for understanding what is going on here. So verse 28 is the last verse. I mean, verse 28 says there, all these, so this is after blessing all the different sons, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. 
That's in Genesis 49, verse 28. Blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. And so for some, he bestows great favor on them. We already mentioned Judah, you can, but you can think of Naphtali and Asher. And then other times we see that their character impacts their future. And so in a way, he's speaking about their future, whether good or bad, and it's in light of their character. And so some of the prophecies, they are good. Some of the prophecies, they are, they are bad. And then others are somewhat ambiguous. It's hard to understand. They just think of Dan. Dan's, Dan's word that uh, Jacob says to Dan, he says, You shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that the rider falls backward. It's kind of hard to understand what exactly is that positive, is that negative. You can think of Lord Jesus where he says that, you know, be wise as serpents. And so there it seemed positive. But then if you think of the overall scope of the Old Testament, when we think of a serpent biting the heel, we think of Genesis 3 verse 16 of the snake, the seed of the serpent. And so it's negative. So it's, some of them are hard to tell exactly. But what's key here is that they're prophecies. These are prophecies that look, they look back and they look forward. So they look at the characteristics of the brothers and how they've acted, whether good or bad, and then in light of that they receive a revelation from God. And this is similar to what we see earlier in Genesis with the different blessings. So Jacob blessing his sons is very similar to Isaac blessing his sons or Abraham blessing his sons. If you think of Isaac, Isaac, the, the granddad here, or the father of Jacob, I should say, and he speaks to Jacob and Esau, and he gives them a revelation about their history. So he blesses them, but it's a prophecy. Genesis 27, verse 39, verse 40, we, we read there. So this is Isaac blessing Jacob's brother Esau. He said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall, you dwell, shall your dwelling be, and away from the Jew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, if you remember, Esau was a hunter, and so he loved the bush. And here his blessing reflected that. But then notice, it spoke about his future. He, was going to be, he would serve his brother. And as a firstborn, that wasn't a positive thing. That was something that he was actually frustrated with, and he hated Jacob for and so we realize that the patriarchal blessings, the, the blessings that we find here, they're more than just a father doting on his son. They were revelatory. And so this passage is foundational not only for the brothers, but also, as we see later on, Israel's history. Here is a prophecy about the different tribes and so God is revealing the history of his people, what's going to happen, and also what we see if you look at all of Genesis, you see that these blessings often tell us about the history that Israel would have, the nation, with the other nations around them. And so that's a key thing to realize as we work through our text this morning. So these are prophetic words of blessing. But one of the things that we notice as we work through our text is that these, these words are impacted by the father's sins. So we see this particularly with Judah's words to Reuben, to Simeon, and Levi. So Reuben, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. And Jacob describes him there in, in the verses um, 
the verse 3 and 4 describes them with lofty terms. He's full of honor, full of prestige. He was Jacob's might, his strength. Jacob says, Reuben, you're my firstborn. Not only were you the first to be born, you were the first to walk, you were the first to talk. You were first in everything. You were always first. But your firstborn status that you had, and the privilege and the status that was to be yours, you lost. And why? Because of your sin. You won't be preeminent because of what you did. And here we have a reference to something that happened earlier. So what happened is Reuben, and his ungod- he, it speaks about his ungodly behavior. What happened earlier is that Reuben lust. He lusted after his father's concubine. And he laid with her. Genesis 35 verse 22 tells us, When Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with his father's concubine. And Israel heard it. And so he's unstable as water. He's like a, a, water in, a boiling water in a pan. It boils over. And his lust couldn't be contained. And he even went to his father's bed. And now there in that passage, we don't read of any sort of denunciation from Jacob. Jacob doesn't speak to Reuben about this. But here he does, and he does with scathing terms. Notice there's a switch from the, the second person, you, to the third person, he. It says there in verse, sorry, verse, I just lost it. Yeah, sorry, verse 4. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, and then it switches. He went up to my couch. So all the brothers are around, and uh, Jacob is saying this to Reuben, and now he's saying it to the brothers. So he says, You went up to my father's, you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, and he says to the rest of the brothers, He defiled my couch. He denounces him. He defiled what was holy. He profaned it. And what we see is his actions have consequences. The special rights and privileges that he had as firstborn that were rightfully his were forfeited by his actions. First Chronicles 5 verse 1 tells us, it explains that the sons of Reuben, so it says there in First Chronicles 5 verse 1, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. So he lost his right as the firstborn. He lost his preeminence. And this has lasting effects for his tribe. Said It speaks of when you look at the tribe of Reuben, Reuben wasn't a preeminent tribe. It wasn't a great tribe. If you look at when Israel settled in the land, Reuben kind of moves into the background. He loses that original place of status and privilege. So after they settled in the land, the Reubenites, you, you don't really see them appearing in history. There's no king that comes from them. There's no prophet that comes from them, no judge. And so what we see is that Reuben's sin didn't only affect him, it affected the, the, the prophecy even of his sons, of his future generations. It affected their place and their significance in the promised land. And if we look at Simeon and Levi, we see a similar thing. Again, God's revelation about their future is impacted by their sin. So it says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. 
So when it speaks of brothers, it's talking about camaraderie, about they're, they're, these are brothers in arms. But they're more than just brothers by blood. He's saying that these brothers were united in their revenge, in their violence. And here again, he's referencing something that happened earlier. So if you think of Genesis 34 and that passage, what happens is uh, Dinah gets taken in by Hamor of Shechem. And she's humiliated. She's humiliated by him. And so the sons come in. Simeon and Levi, and in their anger and their revenge, they destroy every male of the city. They make Jacob a stench, it says, in the eyes of all the other nations. And here we get even more details about the incident. It says, therefore, in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. And so their desire wasn't simply to render these, these animals useless. It was to get revenge in any way that they could. This is what they were. This is what they did. And as a result, Jacob says, my glory will not be joined to their company. So unlike some of the brothers, Judah, Joseph, Asher, Naphtali, which speaks about abundance of portions and abundance of riches, Simeon and Levi were going to be scattered in Israel. It says there, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And again, This is what we see for the history of Israel. Their sin, Simeon and Levi, it impacted their children and their children's children. Both tribes were scattered. Simeon was sprinkled through Judah, so that's the southern tribe, and then also had a few cities in the north. So they didn't have an allotment like the others. And then according, if you look at Moses' blessing, or sorry, Moses in Numbers 26, Simeon was the weakest of the tribes there. And then later, when Moses blesses Israel in Deuteronomy 33, we don't read of Simeon. It's not that they're gone. It's just that they've been scattered in and mixed with the rest of Israel, the nation. So congregation, what we see here is that Jacob's words to Reuben, to Simeon, and to Levi, it didn't just affect these brothers. No, their children and their children's children were impacted by these words. And so you could see that Reuben and Simeon and Levi, their sin had multi-generational consequences. It affected to the third and fourth generation, you could say. And we saw that the same with Judah a number of months ago. I think it was last year. Where Judah left the household of God, and what we saw there was it impacted his sons. What happened? Those sons, they didn't know the Lord. They became so wicked that God struck them down. And so his sin had consequences. And here it's the same. The brother's sin had consequences for the rest of the people. For the rest of their people. And so, brothers and sisters, the question for us this morning is how is your sin impacting those around you? How is it affecting the lives of your friends, the lives of your family members, or your marriage? We could think of a few examples to bear this out. You think you could use a similar example of Reuben? Maybe you can think of a person's use of pornography spilling onto their marriage bed and then causing relationship to be shattered, there to be a betrayal of of trust. 
So there's an impact. Or you can think of someone whose who sin is anger and struggle with anger. Where we see their harsh words, it, they constantly bring their children down. And it has lasting impacts on their kids. Kids walk around on eggshells around their father. Or they completely avoid him altogether. Or you could think of a different sin. You could think of maybe something that's more subtle, an obsession with work. Or something like that. Where someone has an obsession with work and it ends up being their drift in relationship. And so we could put it this way. Reuben wasn't only passing down personal assets to his children. And so what are you passing down? How is or how will your sin impact those whom you love? Because here the passage is telling us that sin has consequences and sin has multi-generational effects. Effects that some of you know full well. And so what, it's, what are you passing down? But brothers and sisters, what's very amazing about these blessings is that we see, although there is an impact of sin, that, that's, that sin's effect is not irredeemable or irreversible. And we see this with Levi. It's beautiful what happens. So if you compare the blessing here to the blessing in Deuteronomy 33, maybe if you want you can open to Deuteronomy 33. So Deuteronomy 33, instead of Jacob blessing his sons, this is, Israel, uh, this is Moses blessing Israel, all the different tribes. And so Jacob, so if you look particularly at uh, verse 8, verse 8 through 9, it speaks about Levi. So in Genesis 49, the tribes of Levi are dispersed. They're scattered. So they don't have a, a portion of land per se, but they have cities that are scattered through Israel. But then unlike Simeon, Levi's scattering is different. Because if you think, so here it says in Deuteronomy, 8 verse, uh, Deuteronomy 33 verse 8, And of Levi he said, Give to Levi your Thummim and your Urim and your, to, you, to your godly one, whom you tested at Massa and whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your com- covenant. And so there it's speaking about when Israel sinned, And Moses said, take your sword and go into the camp and kill your brethren because of their sin. Levi went forth. Instead of zeal being zealous with anger and revenge, they went forth being zealous for the Lord. Zealous for his holiness. And here we read the blessing that they receive from that. Is that they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. And so what originally was a curse, being scattered, is now a blessing. Now Levi is going out and he's going to teach Israel the holiness of God. He's going to teach the people. And so here we see that although sin has consequences, those consequences aren't redeemable or irreversible. Here we see God in his grace switching it around, using it as a blessing for his people. 
And that gives us comfort for, for us as we deal with our sins and the consequences of our sins or the consequences of other people's sins. This means that God is goodness, that God is gracious, and that sometimes he will use those sins for good. And so that when you look to God in faith, it doesn't mean that sin is irredeemable, that's irreversible, but rather when you look to him in faith, when you walk before him in repentance, that God in his grace can even turn around those, those consequences. You know, maybe instead he uses it so that you're able to be a blessing to someone else, so that maybe you can walk alongside someone and teach them and equip them in their walk with the Lord. And so in our first point, we see that sin has consequences. It had consequences for not only for the brothers, but also for the tribes. But then also we see God in his grace, he, he is gracious with us in that. And this brings us to our second point. Because ultimately, they received the future of the promised land because of the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. So that brings us to our second point. So if, if, a curse, if you have a cursory read of Genesis 49, it might seem that some of the brothers, they receive blessing because of their right living, and that other, the, other of the brothers, they're cursed because of their sins. And so God blesses some of them because they're good people, and he curses others because they're bad people. But that's not entirely true. So if you look at Reuben and Simeon and Levi, they receive prophecies of judgment but if you look at the other brothers who receive positive blessings, you think of Naphtali, you think of Asher, even Issachar, these brothers were just as guilty. You think back to Genesis 37 where the brothers, they got rid of Joseph. It was all of the brothers. It wasn't just Reuben, it wasn't just Simeon, it wasn't just Levi. It was all of the brothers. All of the brothers were conspirators in getting rid of Joseph. And so you see that fundamentally their inheritance that they receive, the vision that God gives his people of the future promised land, it was all because of God's grace and his faithfulness. See, notice that despite their sin and despite their weakness, none of Jacob's sons lose the promised inheritance. Although some of their futures were impacted by their sin, not one of them was missing in the register of Canaan. All of them had a future in the promises of God. So as we just saw, Reuben, he lost his preeminence, but he was still an heir of the promise. Simeon and Levi, they may have been scattered and dispersed, but they weren't scattered to other nations. They were still heirs of the promise. And this is what Jacob's last words show us. It, his last words don't mean that they didn't have a future in the household of God. God, rather, Jacob brings his sons together and bestows on them blessings because he believes that their future is not in Egypt where they are at the moment, but their future is with the promises of God in the promised land where he would bless them and make them a great nation. They still had an inheritance. They were still part of God's age-old plan to fulfill his, his promise to make Abram great. This is all because behind all of that is the gracious and the faithfulness of God. And this is what the author, the inspired author, the Holy Spirit makes clear in the verses about 
uh, Joseph. So Joseph, he receives blessing upon blessing. You know, this is what we think of when we think of the word blessed. Jacob showers on his son favor. Blessings from above, blessings from below, blessings from the womb, blessings from the breast. And Jacob says, may all of this be on Joseph's head and on the brow of him who is set apart. And you look at, despite everything he went through, it says, Joseph, you are a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by a spring, his branches, they run over the wall. And the picture here is of a fruitful tree. You know, you can think of your, the neighbor's tree growing so big, and then its branches coming into your property, and the fruit just dangling in over the wall. That's the picture that is given there. And Joseph was truly like that. What we've seen through this series is that Joseph was not only blessed by God, but he was a blessing to others. The fruit of his blessing went over to others. Even to the ends of the earth, everyone came to him for bread, if you may remember. And yet he did that despite everything he experienced, despite being thrown into a pit by his brothers, by being thrown into a prison. He was faithful. And he was fruitful. But notice, congregation, the reason given for this. If you look at verse 24, it wasn't because of Joseph that he remained unmoved. It wasn't because of his arms that made him so agile. No, it says because of the faithfulness of God. It was God's grace to him. Joseph was sustained by the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, for there is a shepherd, the stone of Israel. And the, the stone, the, the, the image there is of a testimony. You think of the Israelites when they went to the promised land, they mounted up stones. And that stone was a testimony of what God had done. And so what Jacob is saying, Joseph, when you look at your life, it is a testimony of the faithfulness of God. The blessings he received isn't because of his faithfulness. The emphasis here is on God. We saw that earlier as well. If you think right back to Genesis 39, Joseph is in the house of Potiphar. And what we see there, the constant refrain is that the Lord was with him. He succeeded. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And he was with him at every moment, even when he ended up in prison. And so it was God. It was the God who had been Jacob's shepherd through his whole life long that strengthened Joseph's hand. He was a testimony of God's faithfulness. And this is what we see, especially in the last verses of our text, with the, the prophecy to Judah. So Judah receives another great vision, a beautiful future, a glorious inheritance. Judah, which means praise, it says there that he will be praised by his brothers. He will have uh, dominion. He will have royal authority over Israel. It's, it's spoken of in verse 8. He will be majestic like a lion who overcomes the enemies. And he will be a ruler whose scepter is in his hand. And it will not pass from him. He was going to be a ruler with great abundance and great affluence. He would be preeminent. And when you look at the later uh, history of Judah, of the tribe of Judah, this is what we see. We see that Judah is first in the wilderness wanderings, Numbers 2, verse uh, 2 to 3. They were first by divine direction to attack uh, when they entered the promised land to go and attack their enemies. They were first. And yet it speaks more than that because it speaks beyond just the wilderness journeys and the conquest of, of Canaan. It speaks of the glorious reign 
of David and of Solomon. You think of that prophecy where a scepter would rise from Israel. And here he's, he's seeing in a, in a glimpse prophetically the, the kingship of David and Solomon. These great kings. But yet, as you can probably imagine, brothers and sisters, he's seen more than that. Because if you think of the rule of David and of his, his successors, that's not the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. If you look at under David and Solomon, yes, Israel prospered. 2 Chronicles 1 verse 15 tells us that Solomon made silver and gold to be common in, in Israel as a stone. But the wealth, wealth never got to the point of verse 11 and 12 where he binds his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to a choice vine. Now maybe that seems like a strange image but if you're an Israelite you don't tie your donkey to your asset the grapevine because the donkey will start munching on it and destroy it. You know, you don't do that unless you're so wealthy that it doesn't even matter. It'd be like us using $100 bills as toilet paper. We wouldn't do that unless it didn't matter. And that's how the abundance of wealth here that is spoken of. But you don't see that in Israel. Yes, gold and silver became great, but we don't see the prosperity spoken of here. And likewise, we don't see the same victory over enemies. If you think of uh, in the time of Solomon, Israel experienced great peace in the land, but they didn't experience victory from their enemies. Ultimately, when you look further on in Israel's history, they get banished from the land. They get exiled because of their sins. Nations overthrow them and drive them out. And so this prophecy here that Jacob gives to his sons is not fully fulfilled in these kings or in the kings that would come from the line of Judah. Not until Christ. Not until Christ Jesus. And here Jacob is seeing Christ's day from afar. He has a vision of that glorious reign of our Savior Jesus Christ. And notice, congregation, it doesn't come from Joseph, whom you'd expect. You know, he was the fruitful bow. He was the righteous one. It comes from Judah, another sinner in a long lineup of sinners. It is through Judah that God brings the Christ, the one who would come and conquer sin and death. It's through Judah's descendant to whom all the obedience would belong where he would come and the nations would bow before him. It's because of Christ, because Christ, that God's people receive a glorious, abundant inheritance. One that will not fade, one will, that will not decay, and that is imperishable. And Christ obtained this as the Lion of Judah. He obtained this not by uh, his great strength of a lion, but by the meekness of a lamb. Think of Revelation 5. Revelation 5, we get a description of Christ. And it's used, the same wording is used there. He's described as the Lion of Judah. Revelation 5. So Revelation 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. And so that's the first description we get of Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is the fulfillment of this prophecy here. But then he tells us how. 
6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Jesus is the lion, but he is also the lamb. The lamb who was slain. Jesus conquered his enemies. He obtained an inheritance for his people by offering himself as a, a sacrifice, as a lamb for a sacrifice. It was through the shedding of his blood that undeserving sinners, like Reuben, like Simeon, like Levi, and like all of us, have an inheritance in the promised land. It's through faith in him that all of us here, we receive that glorious inheritance. It's fundamentally because of God's grace and his faithfulness to his people. That is one of the themes here of this passage. It wasn't because, it wasn't because of Reuben and Levi and all their greatness. No, it was because of God's faithfulness, his commitment. And what an encouragement this is for us, brothers and sisters as we experience the consequences of our sins and as we daily struggle with sin and with its effects. Because notice how it didn't rob them of their inheritance. You know, sometimes we can feel that. Maybe you wonder that your sin will discredit you. That you can't have, that you won't be an heir of God's glorious future because of your sin and what you've done. But here, the glory here is that despite all the mess, despite all the sins that we have, through faith in Christ, when we believe in him and when we repent and come before him, that Christ gives to us the inheritance that in our righteousness we could never give. And it's all because of God's grace and his faithfulness. That is the reason we receive a beautiful inheritance. And so congregation as you wrestle with the effects of sin, know that as those who believe in Jesus Christ, that your inheritance is secure, that you will receive that because of faith in Christ. And by repentance and faith in him, that you will receive that inheritance. See, this is the vision that Jacob gave his sons. And this is the vision that Jacob gives to us as well. Brothers and sisters, we have a glorious future. And it's all because of the lion of the tribe of Judah who came not because of his people's worthiness and because they were so deserving of it, but because of the love and the faithfulness and the graciousness of our God. And so trust in him, believe in him, and have faith in him. Amen. Let's now sing in response a royal song, Psalm 132, verses 6, 7, and 10.
And we'll remember two prayer matters. Firstly, we'll remember uh, our, our brother Michael Verbrugge and Christine as well as they mourn the passing of his, of his brother. And also as they celebrate their 57th wedding anniversary. And so we'll thank God for that. And then we'll bring before the Lord also with joy uh, the birth of, of Noel for Oakley and Kiar Old. Sorry to snooze. Let's come before God in prayer. Our faithful God and gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks into our lives, it speaks to our struggles, our worries, our fears, our doubts. We thank you for the way that it warns us, the way that it challenges us, and also that the way it encourages us. Father, sometimes we belittle the effects of sin in our lives. Sometimes it's our way to justify it. We minimize it. But Lord, we've seen that this is far from the case. We see that our sin has lasting consequences on, for those around us. And it affects those whom we love. And so, Father, we ask that you would please free us from sin. That you would free us from blindness uh, to it. Lord, that help us as we wrestle with the consequences of our sins. And may you give us much grace as you gave your people. We thank you that even in this too, you are, you are gracious to us. And you are loving. And you guide us in that. Father, we also thank you for your preserving hand. We see your awesome faithfulness to your people. You gave them all an inheritance. And Lord, they were a people who were so undeserving, just like us. And yet, in your faithfulness to the promises that you made long ago, you gave them inheritance. They had a future. They were heirs. And Father, we marvel that we too have that same, same future because of Jesus Christ. That our sins do not discredit us because Christ has paid for them on the cross. And through faith in him, we are now heirs of that promise as well. And so help us to live in light of that glorious future. Lord, help us to set our minds on the things that are, that are above and that we would press on full of faith, joyfully waiting for that wonderful future ahead. Father, we also bring before you various matters of our, our congregation. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you and bring all our needs to you. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can do this boldly and confident that you will hear us and that you will give us the grace that we need. Lord, we think... Uh, particularly of Michael Verbrucker and, and Christine. Lord, we, we praise you for blessing them with their 57th wedding anniversary. Lord, what a testimony of your love and your faithfulness to them. Lord, we praise you for helping them to stay faithful to their vows through all the different ups and downs of life. We thank you for filling them with lots of love for one another and for blessing them and for caring for them. Thank you also for bringing them into our midst. And we pray that you would t continue to bless them as they are members here of this church. Father, we also acknowledge that they remember their wedding anniversary with mixed emotion. Lord, our brother has had another sibling pass away. Lord, it's been a number. It was only a couple months that we were praying about his sister. And now it's his brother. And Father, we pray that you would be with our brother and sister of Abruga, that you would watch over them. Lord, especially as... They do not have that hope, that hope that they will meet him one day. Because, Lord, we do not know his faith. And they died as people who are outside of the Lord, who, who weren't in Christ. 
And so we pray that you would please surround them, care for them, watch over them. Father, this is when we, it's a beautiful thing that Christ is the hope of the nations, that he is the way, the truth, the life, but this is when it can be painful. And so we pray that you would surround them with much love. Father, we also bring before you with joy the, the news, the birth of uh, Noel Desnu. Thank you for being with Kiara and Oakley. Father, may you bless them now as they transition to, to parenthood, as they make all the different adjustments. Father, may you fill them with much joy, joy as they hold their, their newborn child. Lord, may you bless them richly and give them what they need. Also, pre, please be with mother and child. Give them strength as they recover. And uh, Lord, we look forward to the presentation of baptism in due time. Father, may you continue to bless us in the rest of this day. Father, we thank you that you have, you have purchased us by the blood of an eternal covenant and that you will equip us to do every good work according to your will, working that which is pleasing in your sight. And you do this because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's in him that we pray all these things. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your offerings uh, to the Lord. And the offering is requested for the ministry of mercy. And as you do so, remember the words of Hebrews 13, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And so this is another way that we can please our God and worship him by giving of our thank offerings to him. And then in response, we'll sing hymn 36, verses 1, 3, and 4.
Receive now the blessing of God and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.